Good morning. If you have a Bible, if you have a copy of God's Word, open up with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. How's my mic? Is it okay? Okay. We'll see how we can do. Today, my uh, NFL team's playing, the, the Bucks. So, go Bucks. If you're a Green Bay fan, I'm, I'm sorry. Pastor Jesse, how are the Vikings doing? Are they playing today? Oh. Well, this morning we're continuing our series in prayer. And the topic that we'll be investigating this morning is... Excuse me one second. I think this is why we're having trouble. How's that? Better? Hopefully it doesn't fall off. Well, this morning we're continuing our study in prayer. And specifically what we're going to be investigating is the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Not necessarily in the life of a believer in producing prayers in us, but more so understanding what type of prayer ministry the Holy Spirit has for us, independent of us. That's going to be the topic that we tackle this morning. And this is part, this, this kind of theological study that we're doing this morning is part of the larger study on prayer that we're engaging in. And the reason why we're diving into kind of some of these theological ideas first is I, I want to unpack these ideas before we move to how we should pray. In Christianity, who we are and what we do is based upon who Jesus is. Our, our ethics, how we live, ought to be based on who Christ is. So, so to get to, to how we respond to the gospel, to get to how we pray, I, I think it's important that we first investigate how Jesus prays for us and how the Holy Spirit prays for us. So that's kind of some of the rationale for why we're spending a number of weeks investigating these theological themes. And to break this morning's sermon down into a large idea, it is this. In this life, the Christian has many different forms of weakness. We are fallen, sinful people. And we stumble, we fall in this life over and over again, and specifically as it, as it deals with our life of prayer. We oftentimes don't know what to pray for, and we oftentimes pray for the wrong thing. But even with that handicap in prayer, God has given us a helper. And that helper, the passage identifies as the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is He covers our weaknesses in prayer. He is the faithful friend who never leaves us. And so the Spirit constantly intercedes for the Christian and ministers to the Christian, independent of the Christian. So that's kind of the large idea, and then I'll spend some time at the end unpacking application. So let's go ahead and jump into this passage and read it together. Romans 8, verse 26, we'll cover, we'll go through 20, verse 27. This is what the Word of God says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us 
with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You'll notice that this morning's title, that the, the title of this morning's sermon, it does not include a part one or part two. And the reason why is this. This is the only passage in Scripture in which we are told of the Spirit's prayer ministry for the Christians. You can search all of Scripture, and this is the only passage that teaches this. And we're going to be delving into to, to a mystery this morning. The Christian life is one in which we know who God is. That's, that's true. But it's also, the Christian walk is also a sense in, it has a sense in which we, we look at a mirror dimly. We do understand God, yes, but we do not fully comprehend him. And what we'll be investigating this morning, the Bible teaches on. But it's so important that we realize that there is profound and tremendous mystery beyond what I'll be saying this morning and beyond what, what scripture teaches. So it's important to have a healthy dose of humility as we investigate these themes. So how many points do you think I'll have this morning? Three. Amen. 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 So the first point for you is our weakness. Our weakness. So this point naturally arises from verse 26. And here at Community Bible Church, the, the, our middle name is Bible. And, and we truly believe that the authority of what we say from this pulpit arises from Scripture. So what I will do is I will continually reference you back to Scripture because I want you to see this. I, I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to see in Scripture where these ideas are coming from. So for this first point of our weakness, I'll be getting it from verse 26. The very first sentence in, in verse 26, Romans 8, 26, says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So for this first point, we want to unpack what Paul means by weakness. What exactly is he referring to? Well, I take him to be referring to two ideas, kind of a broad, general idea and a more narrow, specific idea. The broad idea is this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness of the natural and normal experiences that we have in the Christian life. The Christian life is one of a pilgrimage. We are not yet where we ought to be. We are not yet where we are going. We, we are on a journey. And on this journey, what happens is that we fall and fail often. We oftentimes have to overcome difficult hurdles and challenges. And over and over again, we fail. We struggle. We experience pain and setback and difficulty. And Paul is talking about this general form of difficulty in verse 26. And to show you how, how I'm getting that, what is the first word that occurs in verse 26? In the ESV, it says, likewise. If you have a different translation, it will probably, probably say, in the same way. This is a conjunction. Paul is linking verse 26 with verse 25. He is linking what happens in verse 26 with what occurs before it. So to understand that link, we have to see what verse 25 says. Verse 25 says this, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Verse 25 is about hope. It's about waiting 
for the Lord's deliverance. Now, hope occurs in the context of struggle. Hope only makes sense in a context in which we are tempted towards despair and hopelessness. Look at verse 18. Here we get a a, a clear view of this weakness that Paul is talking about in verse 26. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Notice sufferings here. Notice sufferings. I am making a connection between verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, I'm grabbing that and I'm connecting that to verse 26, our weakness. I take verse 26 to be referencing back to the previous section, specifically the sufferings that we experience in the present time. Verse 18 alludes to coming glory. The Bible teaches over and over again that human history is moving towards a specific end. And the specific end is the redemption of the church, of God's people, and of all of the entire universe. We're moving towards that. That is a time of redemption. But we're not there yet. And in the meantime, where we are right now, in between Jesus' first and second coming, we have this hope. We have this hope that is built on Jesus Christ. And yet we still suffer. So Paul here is talking about the sufferings that we are experiencing right now. And these sufferings are multifaceted. They can be the daily frustrations and irritations that we experience every day. Or it can be the fact that you might have cancer. That your parents recently died. That your children are struggling in life. This is a very broad understanding of, of sufferings. So when Paul says in verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, I I take that to be in a very general way. It is by means of the Spirit that the Christian is encouraged as he or she journeys towards the celestial city. As we walk through this life, we will experience setback and pain and difficulty. And it is the role of the Holy Spirit in that difficulty to pray for you and to pick you up and to encourage you to keep going. That is how the Spirit helps us in our weakness in a general way. But now in a more specific way. This passage teaches a a more specific type of weakness that we have as Christians. And the more specific form is our ignorance. Specifically, our ignorance with reference to prayer. Looking again at the passage, verse 26, look at the second sentence. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Can I get an amen? How often is that reality true in your life this morning? This is a profound truth as Christians that we must confess over and over again the Bible calls us to pray and because of the Lord's grace to us we do that we we pray but often we don't know what to ask for the difficulties and the challenges and the gray areas of life prevent us from often understanding what God's will for us is And so therefore we know that we should pray 
but we don't know what to ask. This is an, a, a common occurrence in the Christian life. Now, I don't take this to be, to be an absolute idea. That, that is, I don't take Paul to be saying that Christians never know what to pray. I take this to be something that happens, but occasionally, not all the time. There are things that we know that we should pray for. Scripture is, is replete with references to what we should pray. Specifically, let me give you just one verse. This is just one example. There are many, many more of this. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, Paul says this. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. To put that in other words, God's will for your life, God's will for my life, God's will for everyone is to abstain from sexual immorality. God's will for, for all of us is to live sexually pure lives. We, we don't need to doubt that. The Bible is clear on this. So therefore, we know that we should be praying this prayer for ourselves and for those who are around us. That we would live lives of sexual purity and also that those around us should live lives of sexual purity. We don't need to doubt that. That is something that you should and ought to always pray for. But there is a middle ground of gray. Life presents us with specific situations that we don't know what we should be praying for. Sometimes we do know what to pray. Other times we don't. To give you a, a, a specific example, take, take the common situation of an elderly saint whose health is deteriorating. An elderly saint whose health is failing. Let's say they're in their 80s, maybe even their 90s. In this situation, I oftentimes struggle to know what to pray for. On the one hand, if you pray for health, if you pray that their health would recover, death only gets postponed. If Jesus decides to continue being in heaven and he continues to tarry, there is an inevitability of death for us all. And so as saints begin to, th th their health begins to worsen, Oftentimes, I struggle to know what to pray for. If I pray for health, their death is only kicked down the road. That will one day come for them. Yet if I pray for them to faithfully pass away into the presence of our Lord, that is a tremendous challenge and burden for them. We, we, we don't want anyone to experience death. And so by praying that they would be faithful through death is a difficult prayer to pray. So in situations like these, we're, we're kind of caught in the middle. If we pray for health, death is just postponed. You, you, you think of Lazarus in, in John 11. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Did you know that Lazarus still dies? Physical health in this life only goes so far. Yet, if we pray that the Lord would take them quickly, we're asking the Lord to bring them through a very difficult and trying time. So we don't know. 
in situations like this. And, and these types of situations could be multiplied. There are many, many more. It's a very common experience to not know what to pray for. We are ignorant. We don't know what the will of God is. And not only do we not know the will of God, we don't know what to ask for. We oftentimes ask for the wrong thing. Our lack of understanding regarding the will of God leads us to not, one, to not know what to ask for, but also to ask for the wrong thing. The will of God is what Christians need. That is what we, we are seeking to guide our life after. But the will of God we only know partially. So sometimes we make requests to God that do not align with his will. Take this example. Let's say that you're applying for a job. And you think and feel that this job is exactly what God wants for you. You go to the interview, the interview goes well. You go to a second interview, the in that second interview goes great. The employers let you know that by Friday we'll give you a call and let you know if you got the job. Friday afternoon you get that phone call and they let you know that they're going with another candidate. And so all along you were praying that, Lord, give me this job. Bless me with this job. This is exac exactly what I need, Lord. This is what I need, Lord. Give me this job. Provide this job for me. This will allow me to do X, Y, and Z. You know, you start to think of how your life will be once you get this job. And you're disappointed when that doesn't come. You could be very discouraged, maybe even crushed. But two months later, there's another job that comes up, and this job is actually a better fit for you. And you begin praying, and you ask the Lord for him to give you this job, and he does. You get that, you get that second job. Now, your prayers initially for that first job were not in accordance with the will of God. We oftentimes pray like that. We pray for the wrong thing. We can even pray for sinful things. And our ignorance manifests itself in, in not knowing what to pray for and in praying for the wrong thing. That's the specific form of weakness that Paul is talking about here in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, specifically our ignorance, our inability to discern what it is that God's will is for us and for others. Now that's all bad news. It's, that's the reality. And that's bad news. But the Bible is a book of good news. That is the bad news. Our weakness is the bad news, but there is tremendous good news. And the good news is this. What you lack... God supplies. What you lack, God supplies. Your handicap in prayer, your inability to know what God's will is for your life, you not knowing what to pray for, you praying the wrong things, you struggling, you feeling hopelessness. Oh, dear friend, God provides for you. And that provision comes in the form of a helper. Here I'm segueing into the, the second point. So the first point was our weakness. The second point is this, our helper. Y'all remember the book of Philippians? By the way, y'all is a southern term. I, I've been trying to weave in you betcha in the sermons. I, I, I haven't got there yet. Hopefully I will in the, in the coming weeks. Philippians 4.18 says this. 
My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours, dear Christian. The Bible is a book that tells us over and over and over again that what it is that you lack, which is a lot, we have nothing before God. What it is that you lack, God supplies, specifically with reference to your prayer life. What it is that you lack, your handicaps, which are significant and tremendous, God assists you in an unbelievable way by means of the Holy Spirit. Looking at it again at verse 26, our helper. Verse 26 identifies that helper. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This word helps simply means to assist, to come to the aid of. He helps us. We, we are tremendously ignorant. God does not leave us to our own devices, though. God does not leave us to our own weaknesses and frailty. He blesses us. He keeps us. He loves us. He ministers to us by means of his spirit. Now, specifically, how does the spirit minister and cover over our weaknesses in prayer? How does, how does the spirit do that? Go to the second sentence of verse 26. Having some trouble with this microphone this morning. Excuse me. For we do not know what to pray for us as we ought. We, we covered that. But the Spirit, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words couple observations about this passage. What word comes after ought? In the ESV it says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. What's next? Is it an and? Or is it a but? It's a but. This is a tremendously important but. Oftentimes when you read scriptures, you'll, the scriptures, you'll see that in scripture there is a transition in contrasts. The contrast in this passage is our weakness in prayer, our inability to know what we ought to pray for. But Paul doesn't say, okay, we're done there. He has a but, and this but is a contrast. Paul's making a contrasting point. And the contrast is, once again, what you lack God supplies, specifically the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Notice this word intercedes, the word intercession. The, the, the word, uh, uh, another word that the ESV translates as intercedes also occurs in verse 27 because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. So in verse 26, we have the mention of intercession, and in verse 27, we have the mention of intercession. Now, last week we saw in Hebrews that Jesus intercedes for us. Look with me at Romans 8, 34. Romans 8, 34, just a couple verses later. Paul says this, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, 
who indeed is interceding for us. So in Romans 8, we have two persons who are interceding for the saints. It's helpful to see their similarities. The similarities is that they're performing the same task. Both the Spirit and the Son. The Spirit in, in, in 8.26 and the Son in 8.34. Both are interceding for us. Now what is the difference? What is the difference but with their ministries towards us? The difference is this. It's one of location. Look at verse 34. Where is Christ in Romans 8.34? Who is, quote, at the right hand of God. Jesus is not here. We saw last week, Acts 1, Jesus has ascended to the Father. Jesus is not physically here. Jesus is physically in heaven with the Father. Jesus has a body. Jesus cannot be everywhere at all time physically. Jesus is in one place. He is at beside, he is at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding for us there. He has a heavenly intercession for us. Now where is the Spirit? Look at verse 27. Romans 8, 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Now this person who searches the hearts is not the Spirit, it is the Father. But the Father is searching human hearts because that is where the Spirit is. So bringing, these, bringing verse 27 with uh, verse 34. Jesus is in heaven, verse 34, interceding for us. He is at the right hand of God. The Spirit is in our hearts interceding for us. So the Christian has two intercessors, one in their hearts and the other heavenly. Dear friends, our bases are covered. For the Christian, there is tremendous help in our walk with Christ. We are never alone. Jesus is always with us by means of the Spirit, and the Spirit is always interceding for us to the Father. And as if that weren't enough, Jesus also is interceding for us. And all of this is independent of us. We've done nothing to deserve it. Now, why is it that the Spirit's prayers are so important for us? He is interceding for us. Now, notice how he intercedes for us. Look at the very end of verse 27. He intercedes for us according to the will of God. Always, perfectly. The Spirit knows the Father's will. The Father searches human hearts and knows the Spirit. There is tremendous beauty and symmetry and unity within the Godhead. The Spirit always prays in accordance with the will of God. We sometimes pray in accordance with the will of God, but often we don't know what to pray. But the Spirit is always praying. His prayers are always perfect for you. Always. And he does it independent of you. He's always praying for you, perfect prayers, and he doesn't need your help. Now, now that 
the most difficult interpretive part of, of this passage, verse 26 and 27. It is what Paul says at the end of verse 26. Paul says this, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. If, if, you, if you do not have an ESV, your translation is going to say something different. Excuse me, your translation might say something different. The NIV, if you're reading an NIV, instead of saying with groanings too deep for words, the NIV reads, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through world, wor, excuse me, wordless groans. The King James reads, the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So there's some diversity here with the translations. And you always know that there is interpretive difficulty in a passage of Scripture when you have translations going in different directions. So we kind of need to sit on this and investigate what Paul is saying here. I'm going to give you three different interpretations for this, this statement. And the first two are, are, are what I do not think that Paul is saying, and then I'll end with what I think Paul is saying. Some people take when Paul says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, some people take this as a reference to speaking in tongues. Some Christians take this to be suggesting that there is a prayer language that Christians have to God that the Spirit produces in the Christian. Now, I do not think that this is the case. If you'd like to visit with me after this, I'd love to discuss with you why I, I don't think this is the case. I do not think this is a reference to tongues. Another reference that I do not think it is, is that the Spirit, what the Spirit does is He takes our groanings, the groanings that we have, you oftentimes think it, in your subconscious, in the deep parts of your consciousness, you'll have these irritations, these grumblings, these difficulties. And these difficulties sometimes bubble up and manifest themselves in prayer. But there's so much of, of our difficulty with life that j just sits below the surface. And some people think that what the Spirit does is He takes those, those difficulties, th those irritations, those grumblings with the present order that we have, the lack that, that our feeling uh, of not being redeemed. And what the Spirit will do is take those and express those through His own groanings. Now, I do not think that is the case either. And once again, if you'd like to visit with me to, to understand why I think that is, why I, think, why I do not believe that is the case, I would love to have that opportunity. What I take Paul to be saying here is this. When the Spirit prays for us, He does not pray alongside with us. When the Spirit prays for us, He prays for us independent of us. When Paul says... The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. These are words that the Spirit himself speaks that we do not speak. We are not even aware that the Spirit is speaking these words. The only way that we have this awareness is based upon this passage. There is this invisible, mysterious ministry that the Spirit has for every Christian. 
and that ministry is that the Spirit is always praying for you. And these prayers are independent of you. You're not aware that He's praying for you. You cannot sense it. You cannot feel it. You are unaware of it. And even when you are in sin, even when you are running from God, the Spirit is interceding for you. He is praying for you perfect prayers. Now, the way this manifests itself in your life is sanctification. What it is that keeps you on the journey is the Spirit's prayers for you. But it is mysterious. It is, you can't tell that it's happening. Other than this passage, we have no awareness that this is occurring. So, so what's this all mean for us, Pastor? What's the takeaway? What's the application? How should my life be changed in light of these realities? Some points of application. The first is for the non-Christian. If you are not a Christian, first of all, I'm very thankful that you're here. If you are not a Christian, if you do not believe the things of Scripture are true, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, I'm very glad that you're here. And I have something to share with you. Oftentimes in life, we tend to not think of the difficulties of life. We tend to push those off and, and believe in some type of reality that is our own making. And for the non-Christian, it is very difficult to think about the challenges and difficulties of life because, because non-Christians have no hope. If you think that this world is all that there is, you have no hope. You are the master of your own destiny and you have no help in this world. But death, your life can be taken, your finances can be taken, your loved ones can be taken. Just like that. And it's so important, if you are a non-Christian, that you confront the reality of life. That this is a very, very, very difficult place. And if there is nothing beyond the grave, there is no hope in this world. That is a very dark and depressing reality. One reason why I am a Christian is because I realize that I need constant and consistent help in my life. And if you are not a Christian, you do not have this help from God. Once again, from this passage, it's striking the similarities between the Spirit's intercession for us and the Son's intercession for us. Last week I mentioned that in Hebrews 7, Jesus only intercedes for the saints. Now, in this passage, who is it that Jesus intercedes for? Does the Spirit intercede for non-Christians? No. Look at the end of verse 26. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. The us here is exclusive. The us here is Christians. The us here is those who have the Spirit. So what this means for you if you are not a Christian, you do not have this help. You have, you do not have this help. And you constantly need this help in your life. You constantly need hope. You constantly need to be brought up and, and helped along the way. And if you do not have Jesus, you do not have the Spirit. Now, we want you at CBC to have this help. And we would instruct you that the way to find this help, the way to receive help from God in this life in light of all of the difficulties that we experience is through Jesus. We attain the Spirit by means of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are a non-Christian, reflect on that. Reflect on this passage and how these promises 
are not for you. These promises are for a certain type of people, and that is Christians. You must become a Christian, and we would exhort you and encourage you to become a Christian, to receive this type of friend that we have in the Holy Spirit. So that's for the non-Christian. For the Christian. Oh, such, such truths here. The first application is to remember this. Remember that God is at work in you even if you cannot feel it or perceive it. God is at work in you even if you cannot feel it or perceive it. We all from time to time grow cold in our walks with Christ. We can become numb spiritually. We know that we should be praying. We know that we should be sharing the gospel. We know that we should be repenting and pouring into others. And yet we feel cold. And for some, there is this belief that if you don't feel God, God is not with you. And I want you to see from this passage how that is not the case. The Spirit's work in your life, the Spirit's prayers for you are independent of you. You didn't earn it, and if you're a Christian, you won't lose it. Even in your sin, even as you fall away from God, the Spirit is still praying for you. And if you feel coldness and numbness, God is still with you. Jesus says he will never leave you nor forsake you. The w one way he manifests that love, that faithful love to us is by means of the Spirit's ministry to you. God is always working in you. The Spirit is always interceding for you. God never leaves you. And to attach, to attach this to, 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 to a song, this song Michael, is Michael W. Smith's song, The Waymaker. Now, I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. This is what he says in this song. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. That's true. If you are discouraged, if you are cold, dear Christian, God is working in your life. He has not abandoned you. Specifically, the Spirit is praying for you. You can't feel it. You can't perceive it. But your ignorance of it does not prevent it. The Spirit is praying for you right now, dear Christian, and you're struggling. Right now. With perfect prayers. God has not forsaken you. God will never forsake you. Christian, he is always for you. He always has your back. By means of the Spirit. By means of the Spirit's prayers for you. Next application. Let's say you, you, you're, in a, you're in a segment of your life where you don't know what to pray. Your back is against the wall and you have two options. And both options look bad. And you don't know what to do. I'd like to encourage you to take this passage 
and to confess it to God. If you are in a time where you don't know what to pray, and even if you're, you think that you know what to pray, I would strongly exhort you and encourage you to take this passage and talk to God in this type of manner. God, you say in your word that I am weak. You say in your word that I am ignorant. You say in your word that I often do not know what to pray for. I believe that. I believe that, God. I testify to you that your word is true. What you say about me is true. I accept it, I believe it, and I feel it. But God, I know that you love me. I know that you have not left me to my own ignorance. You have provided me a helper. And this helper you identify as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always prays for me. He prays for me perfect, complete prayers. So God, I ask and confess these truths to you. And I ask that by means of your word, that you would encourage me, that you would challenge me, that you would build me up, that I confess and surrender my ability to know what to pray for. But I know that you are good. And even in my ignorance, you supply what I need. And I praise you and I thank you. Pray something like that. Confess to God what he already knows about you, which is that you are weak and that you are ignorant. Confess that to God. Tell him what he already knows. And then plead for him to manifest in you the power of the Spirit's prayers. Pray that. Confess that. And then lastly, Give God thanks. One lesson the Lord continues to teach me just over and over again. By the way, the Christian life, you never really learn anything new. You just learn the same lesson over and over and over again in different situations. And what the Lord's been teaching me throughout this series on prayer, the last two weeks with Jesus' intercessor and this week, with the Spirit, is that salvation is by grace alone. We've done nothing to deserve God's grace and mercy. Nothing. All of life, all of the Christian walk, all of prayer is of grace. Jesus is praying for you. The Spirit is praying for you, independent of you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. How else do you respond to that other than giving God praise and honor? Thank God. Thank God that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. That in our prayerlessness, as individuals and as a church, he does not forsake us. That Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us and that he is always with us through thick and thin. Whether it's through the valley of the shadow of death or whether it's through a promotion at, at, at your workplace. The Spirit is always with you, and He's always praying perfect prayers for you. Salvation, all of life, is by grace alone. Praise the Lord. Pray with me.
gracious Heavenly Father. I pray for the encouragement of the saints this morning. Father, in our struggle, in our confusion, in our ignorance, in our suffering, in our frustrations, we oftentimes do not know what to pray. We think we do, and we pray for one thing and we don't get it, and we become confused and, and discouraged and depressed. Father, I pray that by means of, of these truths, that you would build the church up, that you would lead us to see that you are always with, with us, that you never forsake us, that, G, that the Spirit's ministry is independent of us, that the Spirit is always praying for us, and he doesn't need our help. He'll never leave us, and he is a faithful friend. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. I pray for the Holy Spirit's power in this place, for the deliverance of sin. God, I pray that the Spirit would manifest his prayers, that we would see the manifestation of his prayer life for us in delivering us from sin and encouraging us and strengthening us. I pray for, the, the, for, for those pilgrims who are down and out. I pray that they would see that God is with them, that they might not feel it, they might not see it, but that they know it by faith, they accept it by faith because that is what the Bible teaches. God, I pray that you would encourage the struggling saint. Father, I pray that, that, that you would lead us to confess these truths, to confess to you in our, in our private prayer our ignorance and our weakness, and that we would take special delight in that, not because we, we, we delight in our own weakness, but because you provide what it is that we lack. And by seeing our ignorance, we see the grace and the mercy of God, which is far better than what we have to offer. And God, I pray that you would produce in us a heart of thanks that we would marvel at this mystery, this inter-Trinitarian discussion from Spirit to the Father for us on our behalf. God, we give you thanks and praise. And for the non-Christian God, I pray that you would prick their conscience. I pray that you would lay upon them the hopelessness of this life apart from you. And I pray that that hopelessness would overwhelm them, yet they would see the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that they would see what is available to them meets their needs, meets all of their needs. I pray that you would convict them and turn them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we give you thanks and praise, and we adore you. And we pray all these things in Christ's name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.